Welcome to Devolution, the new podcast from SalvageWire. In this podcast, we will be interviewing interesting and inspiring leaders to discuss issues that are facing the vehicle salvage and the vehicle recycling industries, along with other leaders who can challenge and inspire the whole industry. In this podcast, we welcome Paul Diodamo, Recall Manager for Razcors. Just like to thank you, Paul, for being um, with us uh, today on, on the podcast. Just to introduce yourself, can you tell us a little bit about your career, who you've worked for, your roles and your responsibilities? Well, the first thing I would say is I don't belong here. <laughs> um, I'm a guy that never thought I'd be in the auto recycling industry. Honestly, didn't even know it existed. Um, I was blessed with a, I have two degrees, a business degree and a master's in organizational communication. And that really has been the centerpiece of my career in the auto recycling industry in that I didn't know anything about the operational aspects. But when I learned it, I learned it from the best. I went to the ARA shows. I went to the URG shows. Um, I'm truly uh, the best example. I'm the poster child for ARA and URG in that I use those folks to not only build our business and you know it was a turnaround it was a complete junkyard uh bill had a great reputation in his day but quite frankly as he got older it became a hoarder's paradise and it took us a good 15 years to really clean it up so my career i went from grad school and i went to work for an original equipment manufacturer not in the auto business but in the computer business wang laboratories uh, real quick, I spent uh, two years there in training. Unfortunately, they were downsizing because they were hit by the PC revolution. Fortunately, I was able to actually, and as a, in a trainer role, I was able to take classes and I took a lot of the PC classes and I continued on that vein um, in with Microsoft Excel, uh, Microsoft Word, desktop publishing, database, all those skills I had no idea would help me in the auto recycling business. Um, I actually did a quick interlude into recruiting, um, but as it turns out, um, I did start with my father-in-law at Bill's Auto Parts just to kind of see what was going on. I brought my Macintosh SE. I was a millennial in 1990 <laughs> before we had labels. So there I showed up with my little Macintosh and I knew all the guys behind the counter were chuckling saying, this guy ain't gonna last. He's too clean, he doesn't know what he's doing. Well, as it turns out, uh, the rest of it's history, right? It took us a while, we cleaned it up. I hired some great people, I would, my team. In fact, I'm so disappointed today because I had to send out a text to my former team from Bill's Auto Parts last night saying that our spring cookout was gonna be postponed. Uh, but we still get together twice a year, seven years after we sold our business. Oh, brilliant. So communication and teamwork, that's my strength. I had other people surrounding me that were more technical. Um, but the people in this industry, there is nothing like it. And the folks uh, from ARA, URG in the industry were the ones that really led me on the path to success. Brilliant. Brilliant. And you're now working for, for RAS. Um, so can you outline your, your current role and what you're doing with, with RAS? Real simple. Um, I was the guy that was brought on because they had started this airbag recall program in 2015. 
it kind of plateaued. What they said they needed was someone who was on the inside, who knew, talk, we need someone who looks like a recycler, talks like a recycler, acts like a recycler, understands their business operations and how we can best motivate them to get the airbags. And on, you know, I started in 2018. Um, on my technical role, my title is yard recall manager. Uh, we have my counterpart, who is the recall business manager, Katie Stark. Phenomenal person to work with. Uh, our leader, Jesse Whiteside at Raz, incredible business executive. And at one point, he said to me, I said, we're holding you back. You're in too many meetings. I'm going to unshackle you. Go out there. Be the recall guy. You know, in uh, literally three weeks of me being a Raz, I came up with Yank That Bag hit the road, <clears throat> did 60,000 miles, probably 25 state meetings, trade shows. I, I went to every opening. I, I, someone said, you, you, Paul, you'd even go to the opening of an envelope. I, and people said, Paul, you're every, social media, everything from that, those college degrees through my experience, training, operating the business, hit with Raz. It was a complete match. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. So how does, how does the process work? What does what does the process do? What is the recall process? All right. This is honestly one of the best parts. We have over time, I'm not going to tell you it was very pretty in the beginning from what I hear, but basically Raz is a logistics company. Uh, we just happen to do cores, recalls, and converters. But on the recall side, <clears throat> we have simplified it to the point where what we ask the recycler to do is to use our software identify the vehicles, remove the airbags. We give you software to help in that process. Raz sends you all the hazmat kits to pack the bags. We send you the hazmat BOL to ship them. And then we arrange for the freight. This is all part of the Takata recall uh, program uh, that NHTSA has really pushed since I think they really got involved in 2000. 14 and 15, uh, even though the recall was active prior to that. So the vehicle recyclers have a vehicle on site. They put it through your software. They identify that there's a, a, an airbag on there, be it drivers, be it passengers or whatever, that they need to remove. They remove that packet and ship it to you. Then, then what happens? What, what happens when it gets to your site? Well, as it turns out, we are the final validation step. So even though you, the recycler had identified the airbag by VIN, has removed the airbag, we do a final validation on the back of the airbag. There's actually two VIN barcodes. We do scans and then we basically aggregate them by OE. So all the Hondas go together, all the Mazdas, and then we actually contract out the destruction um, there is a facility that called Destruction Houses. They deal with all kinds of explosives. And essentially, I kind of lovingly call it the boom room. It's the last stop for these airbags. And I, I oftentimes get that question in the field, uh, what happens to these airbags? Because let's face it, our core products get rebuilt. The converters get smelted down. The airbags, people naturally think, well, maybe they get rebuilt. No. Destruction, in fact, this company will recycle the other materials, the plastic, the mesh, and once the 
uh, airbags detonated, the metal obviously is recyclable as well. So it's really a tight knit process, but good for the environment as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And and the recyclers then then receive some money back from from RAS. Yes, there is compensation. We call it a bounty, mm -hmm. and we're really we're really not buying the airbags. We're really paying you a fee to harvest to remove those airbags. And that's one thing where, you know, it's $55 for the driver's side, 60 for the passenger. So it's adequate compensation. Most of the airbags, I can almost guarantee, can be removed in under five minutes. So bang for the buck. And this is one of my talking points is, guys, you the resistance as well, it's, it's a labor concern. No, it's a part. You probably pull off alternated solders and other parts under $50, not everyone, yet you won't pull a $55 airbag or a $60 airbag, a, a Honda Accord. I can get the airbag out of the driver's column 30 seconds or less for 55. It's not bad. Payback, 55 bucks. Okay. So if you, had, if you were OCD like me and you organized as the cars were coming in, and put them in a quarantine area, and now they're contained, and I can just go through one car at a time, I am maximizing my space and my time. Brilliant. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, so that's all for airbags that are not deployed. That's airbags that are intact. Now, Correct. have I read it rightly that there are is also a program for airbags that have been deployed? Yes. So great question. Once we got our mobile platform established, we recognized there was an opportunity to capture these VINs. And let's face it, obviously the safety factor of getting the intact airbags out of the system, uh, but also it is a game of checkoff. They wanna check off every possible VIN they know will never get in the hands of a consumer. So the mobile app allows us to use picture evidence and geotagging technology behind the scenes, the, the user really has no idea. They're taking a couple of pictures, um, but that combination allows us to validate that that then can be eliminated from their system, which is really a big help. Yeah. And, and then you're then reporting all this data back to the vehicle manufacturers? Correct. Yeah. Who then report back to NHTSA, the right. National Highway Transportation and Safety Administration. Brilliant. That is an amazing, amazing system. Now, why do you think that this scheme has been so successful in North America, where we've got nothing similar to that in, in other countries in the world? What's the difference been in North America? I think it's a combination of things. I can tell you that in the beginning with the recall, like any recall, most manufacturers probably don't want to recognize that there's a potential problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, this thing literally, I don't want to use that phrase, but just blew up. Yeah. It, it was so horrific. It's not, I don't know if it's actually the number of deaths, although every death is important, but the horrific nature of these airbags literally backfiring and blowing shrapnel into the passenger compartment. Also, <clears throat> because Congress was being hit and being exposed for not enforcing, not pushing the enforcement. So when Congress came down on NHTSA and said, look, you're not doing enough, then it really got traction. 
And obviously, um, the recall program was initially designed for vehicles on the road. And then Honda approached RAS because they said, look, we've got a big problem. We've got literally billions, millions and millions of airbags. We need an end-of-life recovery program, and we're not in a position to do it. We need a company that has industry relations in the U.S. and Canada and can easily make this uh, happen, which is how RAS got involved with it. But truly, I think it's the regulatory environment. I think it's the litigation environment. Um, I know in Canada, they don't have a lot of litigation. So even though we're involved with Canada, we don't have every auto manufacturer giving us their Canadian VINs. Right now, it's just Honda, uh, Acura, and Jaguar Land Rover. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, oh, Wow, it's amazing. Now, you, you mentioned earlier you, that you get the uh, recyclers to identify the vehicles, to remove the airbags, to package them and ship them. Now, there's some inherent risks around that um, uh, around that process. So obviously, you know, do you train the recyclers? Do you train them what to do? Uh, or, or do you do anything special when, when, when those, those airbags are being shipped? Um, what process do you put in there to mitigate risk? Well, it's, it's an interesting situation. Now, I was not in on the beginning of this program, but literally, um, and I've been around the business 30 years, Airbags are a pretty resilient product, and they are, you know, ignited by a positive and negative charge to the connectors. Other than that, I've seen some crazy stuff happen, cars crushed, never seen an airbag go off. In fact, so the, the main precaution that we tell recyclers is to identify the vehicle, put it in a quarantine area for 24 hours with the battery removed from the vehicle, that way, any power that was in the car is now discharged. That really is the primary safety precaution. Beyond that, I can only offer you empirical evidence. Uh, over the course of the program, we've removed and transported over a half million airbags without incident. Last year, we did over half of that half million. So. We in the last two years, we have literally have kickstarted this program and put it into orbit. Wow, it's amazing! How many airbags do you think are out there in, in vehicle recyclers that you you haven't seen yet? I cannot even approach that number. All I know is we have over thirty million VINs in our system, um, so there's a lot of room. But it would be very difficult to extract the number in the end of life system. I'm sure there's some, you know, uh, statistician somewhere that might have that, but when you think about 12 million cars being scrapped a year in the North American market, end of life, it's not insignificant, let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. And you've got contracts with pretty much all, all the major manufacturers now? Yeah, so that's actually a very good question. So only 19 automakers were identified as having Takata airbags. I'm going to assume you know the business as well as I do. We can take out McLaren and Tesla, although I'm assuming there's some Teslas coming through. The big one, Honda Acura, mm -hmm. right? They had bought millions and millions of these Takata inflators. Uh, Nissan Infiniti, Ford, Mercedes, Jaguar, Land Rover, Subaru, Mazda, um, Ford, GM trucks, 
Blinken, Mercury. So we have most of the major ones. I will tell you a very important point here, who we don't have that should be in the program. BMW, Audi, VW, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge. Those companies have just opted to do the replacements of the airbags for vehicles in service on the road through their dealership program, and they have not participated in the end-of-life recovery program. Mm. That is interesting. Yes. That's interesting. Yeah. It's because what's the what the benefit for those manufacturers that have that are participating <clears throat> is is what? I think the benefit is to NHTSA and to the world is saying, hey, we are doing everything possible, not only as they're on the road, but once they get off the road, you know, many consumers don't really know that the auto recycling business exists. However, that being said, we sell millions and millions of parts. It's a very robust industry in North America. So therefore, the opportunity for those airbags to be sold is has a higher probability so they feel like, hey, we want to take every precaution. And honestly, dollar for dollar, our recall recovery program is significantly cheaper than what they pay the dealerships to swap out the inflators. And the benefit from with yours is that they get a higher percentage of success ratio with when they're reporting to NHTSA. Yeah. Yep. And that's what Congress measures NHTSA upon. How are the automakers doing? And if their recovery rates are not high enough, they beat them. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it seems like those manufacturers, BMW, Audi, Volkswagen, Chrysler, and the and Jeep Dodger, are missing out on a trick there. They're missing out on it, aren't they? Well, you know what? It's interesting because our good friend, Chris Daglas, and now Chad Councilman, are down in Australia. Mm. And those companies are participating <clears throat> down there. now. Maybe it's a cost-benefit analysis, but I would think the population, the number of vehicles in North America is significant compared to in Australia. <clears throat> so in that respect, the benefit, I think, would be heightened here in the U.S., but they've chosen to participate. And that just goes to show you how large these companies are, and BMW Australia is a different organization than BMW USA. And we fail to recognize that. We think, oh, it's BMW. No, no, no. BMW Canada, different than BMW USA. I mean, you've been in the business. You know that aspect of it probably better than I do. So it's it's politics. It's, you know, one hand not necessarily doing the same as the other. <clears throat> yeah. How do you see this, this recall system going over the next couple of years? Do you think that volumes of, of parts that you're going to be dealing with is going to go up and up and up? Or... Have we have we hit that plateau? Have we hit the, the peak of that? I don't think we've hit the peak. I, I think we would have been on target pre-coronavirus for probably um, maybe 300,000. That was my kind of forecast for the year. But I think maybe within the next two years, we should see that because they're, you know, always trying to get consumers to bring their cars in. But obviously, they've had a lot of issues mm -hmm with having consumers bring their car in, even recognizing the danger because we're inundated with alerts and recalls and life and social media. 
sometimes we don't recognize the danger in front of us. So I truly believe the end of life solution, if we can get, if we had 100% participation amongst recyclers, we would truly be the final solution because uh, every car ultimately is end of life. So are there any messages that you would like to give to the vehicle recycling industry, to the automotive industry um, about this program, about you know, what they can do to get better um, uh, volumes of, of parts through, what they can do to help yourselves, RAS, the vehicle manufacturers and NHTSA? What would you like to say to those guys who are, who are not participating? Well, I would say this. I think the next big step has to come from the YMSs, the yard management systems, um, you know, uh, Checkmate, mm -hmm. Hollander, Pinnacle, Crush. You know, we, again, we have a very robust auto recycling industry in North America. <clears throat> Those four companies have the power to put that in front of everyone's face as soon as they enter the VIN in their system. I get always give a shout out to Mike Lambert at Buddy Inventory. He truly has just completely leapfrogged over everyone in his inventory device, and it just proves that it can be done, he can recognize not only airbags, that was the first step, but now using a database, he was able to recognize all recalls, and he drops that into the YMS as like a file. And so I think he's leading the charge. We're just waiting for the other uh, companies to follow, but I think Having it in front of your face prompts you to action. Right now, we've basically been coming at it sideways, saying, hey, we have software. If they just had the software in their primary software to run their business, game changer. Yeah, wow. Oh, it's amazing. There's so much learning here that, uh, that we can also then take into what we're doing here in the UK um, as well, because uh, there's a lot of activity in the UK. and. Uh, you know, I'd love to have something similar operating in the UK that, that, that you've got in the USA where the manufacturers are involved, where there is a bounty and it would be really nice, but there's so much learning. Um, that's absolutely amazing. We'll come back to our conversation with Paul in a moment. Salvage Insight is a new programme from SalvageWire. We are creating a range of intensive management bootcamp options for business owners and managers who want to measure current value, create compelling customer experiences, market, promote and sell more effectively, improve profitability, manage smarter, determine the most effective management structure and create a strategic vision, mission statement and a new business plan. Salvage Insight will launch with a one day bootcamp on Wednesday the 17th of June. For more details and information, please contact SalvageWire through our website, www.salvagewire.com. Back to our conversation with Paul. Um, you spent a number of years as a consultant to the industry. One of your most memorable sessions involved monkeys. Uh, can you explain in more detail how a monkey helped you to uh, train leaders and owners in the vehicle recycling industry? Well, I recognized early on that you know, I find that family businesses can sometimes be very um, micromanagement oriented. And so I came up with this seminar, Don't Feed the Monkey, 
to basically kind of get inside the business owner head and business owner's head and don't feed the monkey is kind of a you know playful target monkeys everyone loves animals and sometimes you don't want to impinge on someone's authority or intellect or emotions negatively so i kind of come through with uh, the idea of you know micromanagement understanding that typically in a family business there are um, family issues that oftentimes come into play and i you know came into a situation where my father-in-law had purchased bill's auto parts as a retirement project so he had not been there his whole life so you know what happens dad says well we've always done it this way and as i've come to realize that or grandpa or grandma um, are the most expensive words in business. We've always done it that way. That means they're reluctant to change. If it's not broken, don't fix it. And how do you get people to see, you know, put the mirror in front of them and recognize, oh my goodness, that's me and I've got to change. And I'm all about change. So don't feed the monkey. We talk about all the different things that happen in small business, a new way of looking at it. But I also did a little exercise where I would have everyone stand up and I would describe certain animals and they would have to guess which animal it was. And then they would decide if they fit the description of that animal. So for example, the first one would be the lion. And you know, honestly, in a room of small business people, you think most people are gonna say, oh, I'm a lion. Honestly, I was surprised oftentimes, maybe 25%. The next, and some people would be hedging, like, hold on, I don't know what's coming next, so I don't wanna commit, aha. A character trait the next one would be the golden retriever you know loyal loving stand by you not what really wanting to change and then the next one would be the beaver you know very analytical and you can start to see in people's minds where they're like oh yeah uh the beaver and you know so basically we'd go around and then the last one would be the otter that's someone who's more like the person who's gonna organize things. I tend to find myself in that category. Um, I like to organize things. I like to have people work as a team. Um, I'm not necessarily one who's gonna come in and just pound it down your throat, regardless of personalities. So once they separated, I also gave them the chance to move and decide maybe I am really a lion or a beaver. But now I turn it around and say, hey, what about when you're hiring people? If you're looking for an inventory guy, you probably don't want an otter or a lion. And maybe you don't even want a golden, you want a beaver, you want someone who's analytical, who can describe parts for their, what they look like, their age, and take a very analytical approach where I wouldn't necessarily put that person at the front counter dealing with customers because they take an hour to sell a lug nut. Because they're gonna describe it every which way, right? <laughs> So obviously we can't, that's your dominant personality. And I would ask them, say, look, I'm asking you to describe that. Now, obviously at these trade shows, you'd have a lot of couples, wives and husbands. So when the husband went off in one direction, sometimes I'd see the wife going, no, 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 no. Come on, you're a teddy bear. You're the golden, you won't fire anybody, right? The lion, no problem. Um, so it was really a great uh, time. I mean, we had as many as 50 people. And literally, if you're not familiar with the DISC test, um, many people out in the, in the world have taken the DISC test. It's a personality kind of test. I do the DISC test 
in 20 minutes with four animals. And people get it. And I would get, so now, I, hey, my friend Andy, Andy Latham sent, brought me a Cadbury uh, monkey. I had someone from Texas send me one. I mean, I got monkeys. Uh, in fact, my whole team now on stay home work they all have a monkey with them. And it's a reminder that I'm right there with them all the time. That's amazing. That is, that is oh, one amazing. last thing. So if I give someone a monkey because they've got a monkey on their back, and that's another part of this, get the monkey off your back, do one thing. So oftentimes I'd say, look, when you feel like you've gotten that monkey off your back, give it to someone else. I'll tell you who um, a good friend of mine, Ryan Gardner, worked on American down in Fort Worth, works for Barry Rubin, good friend of mine. He called me up last year and says, oh my God, the damn monkey. He says, I finally had the courage to tell Barry I need X, Y, and Z because I'm spending most of my time doing accounting work. And he says, it's been the biggest burden lifted off my shoulder. In fact, this guy, Andy Latham, had called me about a story about the monkey about a year ago as well. Remember that? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Very much so. Yes. Indeed. That was a, that was a good one. Uh, now, you, you mentioned, and obviously, you know, you've, you've, you've put people in the, in the four, in the four um, categories. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of young and aspiring leaders who want to grow and develop uh, their leadership skills in the vehicle recycling industry. Um, or maybe there's people there who are slightly older looking for a bit of a career change uh, to become a trainer or consultant. Is there any advice that you could give those people around developing their skills and developing uh, their knowledge uh, before they take that step into, into leadership or consultancy? Well, short of, I mean, I had the, the good fortune to be able to, you know, get a bachelor's and a master's degree. And I was outside, I think having come from outside the business made a big difference. Uh, in fact, Ron Sturgeon once told me, Paul, your ignorance is your best asset. And I was insulted and complimented at the same time. because I realized what he was saying is you're not burdened by the baggage, the luggage from the family history. And we've always done it this way. So for the, for the new people or the old, you know, ARA has done a good job in the last year of sponsoring some mentoring programs that have been hugely successful because we have recyclers who are willing to give of their time. I would say you absolutely have to have an open mind. You've got to be able to dedicate time. If you want someone to mentor you, you can't blow them off and say, oh, I'm too busy, I'm too busy, which is typically why you need it because you're trying to run the whole ship, make every decision. Therefore, you can't stand back, look at your operation, make strategic decisions. That's exactly the turning point. You say, I need help. When you can't pick up the phone for 10 minutes, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how many recyclers I talk to. And this is, these are my brothers and sisters mm -hmm. in the business. And I'm like, man, are you telling me you can't get on the phone for a half hour this week to get trained on using our mobile app? And I'm going to make it fun, right? This is not some boring, you know, 20 minutes. I'm, I'm going to entertain you. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to inspire you. And I will give you everything I have. I don't have time this week. This week, dude, there's like 60 hours in the week. If you told me, hey, Paul, I need you up at 5 a.m., I would get up at 5 a.m. Why? I'm committed. Yeah. Do what it takes. Amazing. 
So ARA mentor program, certainly getting involved with ARA. Of course, people say, well, I can't afford the time. Guess what? Again, you should afford the time. I get involved with ARA, URG. I was on the board of URG for two years. Oh my goodness, the contacts I made, the confidence I got. These are people who've been friends for 20 years and I can call them in a blink of an eye. I got a problem. How can you help me? And they would take their shirt off their back for me. Yeah, and, and you've, you've just hit the nature of the industry. That's what, that's what the industry does for everybody. Did you know that I actually took the shirt off my back last year? Well, you know, yank that bag is my thing. We're global now, it's, it's viral. And I went to Texas with some special limit. I had six limited edition shirts. I said, yank that bag in camo. Take this, right? I offered up a couple for the charity auction. And you know, Bo Roten's the auctioneer. And we were up to like $300. And he says, hold on, we're taking a break. Paul, come up here. And I talked about yank that bag. And he says, we're going to change this up. Now we're bidding for you to take the shirt off your back because that's the kind of guy you are. That shirt went for $600. <laughs> so I am willing to take the shirt off my back for this business. Brilliant. That is amazing. That is an amazing story. <laughs> Wonderful. I love it. <laughs> it wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. I hope somebody gave you a shirt to cover up with. Uh, it was a cold night in Dallas. I had to run. No one was handing me anything. I was cold. <laughs> oh, what a thought. What a thought. Hope for a video, video camera of that. Oh, there was video, yes. <laughs> Love it. Love it. If there's one thing that the US government could do differently that would have a biggest benefit to your business to what you do what what is that what would that be well that there is only one thing we need them to get the oe database of part numbers that that has been legally passed it is a law that we're supposed to be provided with the part numbers and they have basically circumvented based on the letter of the law and have published information that's supposed to appease that, but it's virtually intractable. You can't extract the information we need to be a partner in this automotive circular economy. So I would say if we could get the government to get lean on these guys and say, look, it needs to be in a format that is digitally read and can be utilized, that would be the number one thing I think hands down auto recyclers need, deserve, and want. Uh, and, and believe me, you're not the first person on this podcast to have said that either. Right. So, so yeah. It's a thing. Yeah. No, it's been amazing. Really, really good. And, you know, uh, it's been incredible. How do listeners contact you and, and contact Raz to find out more? Well, we do have what I call the uh, recall hotline. It's 877-829-1553. Um, you can find my phone number and email anywhere, but it's uh, US 401-458-9080. And the email is pdiadamo, that's D-A-D-A-M-O, at coresupply.com. Brilliant, brilliant. And we will put the uh, website details on, on the show notes as well. 
So uh, that will be there on the show notes as well. Now, final question, and we ask this of, of everyone who comes on the podcast. What was your first car, and do you have any special memories of that car? Well, I saw that, and I had to think about it for a second. So my first, my first true car was a 1978 orange, burnt orange Ford Maverick that my grandmother gave me. Okay? Small problem. Uh, sometimes when you started up in the morning, it didn't necessarily want to go forward. So I worked uh, this Wang Laboratories, and when I went up to park in the lot, I would typically go to the fourth floor and position myself where I could kind of turn the wheels and roll. So by the time I got to the exit, it was working. But the memory is the passenger seat, I don't know why, it was really worn and the foam was really crumbly. And one time I took a friend of mine, he had an appointment and his car was in the shop and he had a suit on. We, I wore suits back then. And I'm in the car and he says, yeah, I'm just gonna go in for a minute. And I forgot about the foam. And <laughs> as he's going in the door, I look and his whole backside has got foam rubber <laughs> all over it. I was laughing so hard. I couldn't even get out of the car. And he comes out and he says, you idiot. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me I had a foam on the back of my jacket? <laughs> oh, lovely. What a memory. What a memory. But it was, you know, a lot of good memories. Um, and uh, ultimately, it meant, met its demise. And uh, that's the end of that. Fantastic. Uh, brilliant. Paul, it's been a pleasure talking to you on this podcast. Thank you so much. For your time. Thank you, Andy. Always a pleasure talking with you and our listeners, our recycling community. God bless. Have fun. Be safe. Brilliant. Thank you, Paul. That was amazing. Uh, you'll find full details of how to contact Paul and Raz in the show notes. Please don't forget to take time to like and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues and give us a rating. Depollution podcasts are released every Tuesday.